Money FM 89.3, the best of the afternoon update. Money in the market on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Money in the Market. I'm Imad Akta. China is escalating its defense of the yuan, pushing up funding costs in the offshore market to squeeze short positions and setting a new record with its stronger-than-expected reference rate for the currency. Analysts say the steps are designed to slow the pace of yuan depreciation rather than engineer a sustained rally. Forecasters at JP Morgan, Nomura Holdings and UBS Wealth Management all predict further weakness in the currency this year. The offshore yuan reversed earlier gains to weaken on Tuesday, dropping back towards its 2023 low set last week. To make sense of the UN's volatility in recent times, I have with me on the line now Philip Wee, who's a senior FX strategist at DBS. Philip, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Iman. You're very welcome. Philip, let's start with foreign exchange trading revenue first before we head to China. Foreign exchange trading revenue fell 15% in the first half compared with a year earlier. That's according to figures from the top 100 banks collated by London-based BCG Expand Research. What was behind this fall? Well, I think the reason is quite straightforward. There's a massive drop in FX volatility this year compared to last year. Mm. If you recall, in the first nine months of last year, there was a one-way dollar surge. Up then, after that, uh, we had a one-way uh, dollar plunge in the last three months You mm. know, from the Fed downsizing hikes. This year, DXY is fluctuating in a much narrower band. Um, mostly between 100 and 106 from a more uncertain landscape. So I'll give you an example. Uh, I think markets are struggling. For example, in Fed, May and August, you know, dollar strengthened when the Fed pushed for higher for longer rates. Mm. Conversely, uh, it weakened, you know, uh, when the US banks failed in March, then the Fed paused in June. And of course, the disappointing uh, US NFP and CPI data in July. The other thing that's missing uh, this year is that we don't have big global dollar trends. Mm. You know, so in the first seven months of this year, uh, we have seen a dichotomous market where European currencies did much better uh, than the Asian currencies which faltered. So um, I think the other thing is that I've seen an unusual pickup in chatter about de-dollarization. Mm. But then at the same time, you know, I think markets were caught on the, the China de-risking, pressurizing the Rami peak. Mm-hmm. Now, without a second half pickup, revenue could be heading for its second full year decline in three years after a drop in 2021. Is this likely to happen? Well, I guess it's possible if con- uh, currencies continue to be pulled in different directions this year. I think the only thing I want to say is that uh, this year reminds me of the period after the 1997-98 Asian crisis. Mm. You know, where I mean, we had you know the volatility that I just described, and then we settled into a broad consolidation. Mm-hmm. Now, there's been plenty of news surrounding the Chinese yuan, which has come under growing pressure from a pretty darkening economic outlook, as well as strain in the property sector. How is it faring now? Well, um, you know, when uh, the U.S. shot down the China spy balloon, mm. so we reckon that dollar China could trade above seven. We noted that IMF and other agencies expected China's recovery uh, to disappoint after its reopening. And it did disappoint, you know, so not helped by uh, right now the worries over its property sector. Mm. 
Okay, uh, dollar China is uh, right now near last November's high, but this you know has to be also taken in context of the dollar's recent rebound. You know, from U.S. economy showing itself to be exceptional compared to the Chinese and European economies, and I guess more importantly, you know, uh, domestically, uh, markets thinking that China is not doing enough in providing stimulus to shore up its economy. Mm-hmm. Now, China's major state-owned banks were reportedly seen actively mopping up the offshore yuan. Early this week. What is the purpose behind this? Well, as I mentioned earlier, uh, dollar China is near last November's high mm. um, of, I think, 7.32. If you look at a lot of news headlines, they are sort of painting a confidence crisis in, uh, over the Chinese recovery. You know, you look at China, the offshore, you know, CNH has been pressured more than the onshore. I think this is due to the fact that Hong Kong is open on the capital account and China is not. All, all you have to do is look at the, I think, uh, spread between the CNH and the CNY. This month, so far, I think in the past couple of weeks, we have seen the spread, you know, um, or CNH uh, basically two, 0.2% weaker than more than uh, 0.2% weaker than CNY. So the spread so far this year is normal, is somewhere below 2%. Mm. Now, one former central banker yesterday also noted that increased UN bill sales by China's central bank in Hong Kong this week have helped tighten liquidity in the offshore market to help stabilize the UN. Could you explain how this works? Well, there are two remaining feet, you know, one offshore, uh, CNH in Hong Kong, and the other onshore in mainland China. Most countries access the offshore CNH in Hong Kong. Mm. So the uh, I think the former PBOC official finds that issuing yuan denominated bills in Hong Kong it makes sense because of the uh, pressure that the currency is facing. The whole idea is to raise the cost of shorting the renminbi to keep dollar China, I guess, from busting last November's high. However, I think at this juncture, uh, we think that this addresses the symptoms and not the causes of mm. the pressure on the currency. As I mentioned earlier, externally, there's very little China can do if the Fed suddenly turns hawkish and keeps the dollar strong. Mm. Then domestically, you know, I think the market still wants more concrete and substantial measures from China in terms of stimulus to address this disappointing recovery. Mm. We'll come back to the dollar in a bit, but how have Asian currencies been faring against the backdrop of the volatility in the UN? Well, Asian currencies, um, they have been fairly sideways, pretty resilient, I think, in the first half to, let's say, the weakness in the Romipi and the Japanese yen. But, you know, recently, because the dollar has regained its composure after the mm. aggressive sell-off in early July, they are now, you know, are more in line in terms of depreciation. I think the key thing is that many Asian currencies have paused their hiking cycles and they've seen their interest rate differentials narrowed against the U.S., mm. So I doubt, you know, anyone in the region uh, likes seeing the U.S. two-year bond yield pushing above 5% strongly. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the U.S. dollar index, which measures the currency against six major counterparts, was down 0.14% at 103.45 on Wednesday. This is apparently down to data, which indicates U.S. business activity approaching the stagnation point in August. How is the dollar faring now? Well, at this point, I'm paying more attention, you know, to the fact that Fed is looking at the totality of incoming U.S. data before mm. deciding if they will hike in September. Mm. And I think what caught most of us by surprise is how strongly the Atlanta Fed uh, GDP now model is looking for a strong rebound in U.S. GDP growth to 5-6% quarter-on-quarter annualized you know, uh, in the third quarter. So as I mentioned before, uh, the dollar index has rebounded you know, from its early July sell-off. 
So uh, it just broke two important trend lines. So this could send it you know, higher to the ceiling of the 100 to 106 range uh, that we've seen earlier this year. All right, let's touch on Japan briefly now. The chief of Japan's stock exchanges came out and said the yen is too weak and its benefits for Japanese stocks are diminishing. Why is it this weak and what is the near-term future outlook for the yen? Well, the yen is the weakest currency this year um, that we watched. It has depreciated about 10% year-to-date. I think the bulls you know, have been very disappointed uh, with the Bank of Japan being very patient in normalizing monetary policy. However, in hindsight, you know, when I look at the tweak that uh, they did uh, in July, you know, that I mean in that they re- allowed more flexibility for the 10-year JGBU to rise to 1%. This gets me thinking, you know, whether they were anticipating a more hawkish Fed ahead of Jackson Hole. Because back then, uh, we also noted that Bank Indonesia was expecting the Fed to hike again in September when the markets thought that July would be the last of, of the cycle. Mm-hmm. Now, the Jackson Hole Symposium begins today. How can we expect interest rate discussions at the forum to influence currency markets? And what are the different scenarios that could play out? Well, investors have been very anxious, you know, to write the arbitrary for the US dollar uh, because they wanted Fed hikes to end and stock markets to rally. But instead of scenarios, you know, I, I think it's better to highlight the different opinions of the Fed officials. Well, on the one side, uh, we have officials like Harker and Bostick calling for a pause assess the impact of past hikes on the U.S. economy. But then again, the FMC minutes highlighted the significant upside risk to inflation. Uh, and Powell also you know, uh, told everyone that the Fed staff was no longer forecasting a U.S. recession. And you know, we have seen uh, that the U.S. economy turned out to be more resilient than many expected. The labor market is still tight. I think from the Fed's point of view, it's now less overheated. So most Fed officials are keeping the door open for more hikes to get inflation back to the 2% target. Let's not forget that the Fed hike in July you know, was also only one of the two hikes that they penciled into its stop plot in June. Mm. I think all officials generally agree that you know, inflation is still high above the target. Mm. You know, for them to declare victory in inflation, let alone talk about rate cuts. So the core message I would expect is US rates are going to be staying restrictive for I think a bit longer than what everyone was expecting. Okay. Now, before we let you go, what should investors look out for that could move FX markets in the coming weeks? Well, I'm paying attention to two key events in September. First, if power sounds hawkish today, uh, September FOMC will become important in two regards. I think one, uh, will the Fed hike again? Two, will the Fed pencil more hikes uh, in the summary of economic projections? I think uh, markets are also struggling to stop European currencies from giving back this year's gains on slowing growth and inflation dynamics. Okay, the second event is the G20 summit, where a focus may fall on China's economic challenges amid intensifying U.S.-China rivalry. Like it or not, uh, Yellen uh, did warn that China's slowdown would hit Asia most and spill over into the U.S. And we also had the National Security Advisor Sullivan you know, calling China to be more transparent with data and after he stopped publishing uh, the youth employment data. Mm. And last week, our own Deputy Prime Minister Lawrence Wong was also cautioning that the global economy is facing unpredictable risks from intense and extreme competition between the world's two largest economies. Mm. So we do need to pay close attention to geopolitical risks, even as EU-China slows down and you know, not helped by America continuing to show great resilience. Well, Philip, this has been a great discussion. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Thanks very much for having me, Yemat.
You're very welcome. We've been speaking with Philip Wee, Senior FX Strategist at DBS. Stay with Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.